Malachi verse 1. Very familiar scripture, area of scripture. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11. And I'll actually back up a few verses and, and flow into it as far as teaching is concerned. But if you'll look at John chapter 11 and verse 1. Okay. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples said to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of, out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, or literally Lazarus died. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. He begins to explain some various things that take place and some encounters with Martha and also with Mary. Now, if you will look in verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again groaning himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone." Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary, and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for your awesome word. We give you all glory and honor and praise. We thank you for speaking to us tonight in and through it. 
We love you and we praise you, God, for you are our salvation, our life, and our light. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, look at chapter 10, please. Verse 40, the Bible says, He went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him, saying, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. Now, this gives us the background. Jesus has left Jerusalem because they have tried to kill him. They rejected him there, and so he had to leave from Jerusalem, and he went over to where he originally was water baptized by John the Baptist, or over there in Bethany. Bethany here is Beth Arabah. If you'll go to John 1, please, and look at that. John 1 and verse 28. These things were done in Beth Arabah beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. Now this Beth Arabah here means the house of passage. This is the very location where Joshua in the Old Testament brought the Ark of the Covenant. They put their foot on the water, the River Jordan. The Bible tells us the waters divided. And they went over Jordan, the Jordan River there. And it was at the house of passage or Beth Arabah that this took place. So John the Baptist was actually water baptizing people at the same place that Joshua crossed over in the Old Testament at the River Jordan. That Beth Arabah, by the way, where John was baptizing, was called Bethany. So there's two Bethanies in the background here. There's the Bethany where Lazarus is located, and there's the Bethany where John the Baptist is baptizing his disciples. So the Bible tells us that Jesus, having been rejected in Jerusalem, they tried to kill him there. He makes his way over to the place where John the Baptist was baptizing originally at Beth Arabah, or he went back to Bethany. Bethany, this Bethany is different from the one in chapter 11 of the Gospel of St. John. So having been rejected by the people, they're trying to kill him, he goes back to the beginning of his ministry. He goes back to where there was a revelation given as to who he was. The voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Revelation came to the people that Jesus Christ was the Messiah there at Beth Arba or Bethany. And while he's there, he has a tremendous revival. He was rejected in Jerusalem. They tried to kill him in Jerusalem because he claimed to be God. So he goes back to the place where he was baptized, and in that place he had a tremendous revival. The Bible tells us, I already read it to you, that multitudes of people begin to gather themselves to Jesus there at that location. So he goes back to the place where it all began as far as his ministry is concerned. Now, there are times in your life where you have to go back and you have to rededicate your life to God. You have to go back to where it all started and you have to recommit yourself and rededicate yourself to God. Now, I, I have a revelation as to who Jesus is. I know that Jesus is God come in the flesh. So I don't need to go back and get another revelation of the fact that Jesus is God. But I knew it. I do at times need to go back to where I get a revelation of who I am in God. 
And so the Bible tells us that Jesus went back to that place where it all began. And you're going to have to go back from time to time. And you're going to have to make a rededication and a recommitment of your life to God. Not to get a revelation of who Jesus is, but to get a revelation of who you are. And then make a recommitment to the Lord with your life. So that with that in the background, the Bible tells us he's having a tremendous revival over there in Bethany where he uh, was baptized originally by John. Now in chapter 11 brings us to another Bethany. It's a different Bethany. So verse 1, having this in mind, a certain man was sick. Well, that doesn't tell us much. When it says a certain man was sick, there's a lot of people that were sick. It says a certain man was sick. Well, there was a lot of men that were sick in that day. And the Bible says his name was Lazarus. That doesn't tell us anything. There were a lot of men named Lazarus that were sick. The Hebrew word Eleazar, which means my God is my help. A lot of people were called Lazarus or Eleazar. My God is my help. So when the Bible tells us a certain man named Lazarus was sick, that's not telling us much. Because there were a lot of people named Lazarus who were men who were sick. Okay? The Bible continues and it tells us that he was of Bethany. That's not telling us very much. Okay? Because there was more than one Bethany, as I've already told you. Bethany, where Jesus was baptized, where this tremendous revival had broken out, is a totally different location. This Bethany right here, when it says Lazarus of Bethany, that doesn't tell us much. Which one is it? Which Bethany is it? Is it where John was baptizing, or is it the Bethany that's a couple of miles away from Jerusalem? Which one is it? So up to this point, what has been given to us doesn't mean a whole lot. We found out that there's a man named Lazarus who is sick, who lived in Bethany. Still hasn't told us a lot. Okay? The Bible continues and it says, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now we know something. Now we know what Bethany he's talking about. Now we know what Lazarus he's talking about. Now we know what man he's talking about because we find out that it is the town of Mary. Okay? Now verse 18 will tell you which Bethany it is. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. So now as you progressively go through the story, you find out that Bethany is the one that's just about two miles away from Jerusalem. Okay? This Bethany was located on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. It was very close to Jerusalem. Are y'all with me? So now we have some information that we can go on that means something, okay? So this certain man that was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary. This particular Bethany is the town of Mary. And the Bible says in her sister Martha. What is interesting, if you look in Luke chapter 11, we have seen, I'm not going to turn there. Uh, let me make sure it's Luke. I think it's Luke 10. Let me just turn there real quick to get the background here. We have come across this family before, okay? How many of you have ever heard of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Remember reading about them?
Okay, if you'll, let's, uh, let's just look at it. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha, say Martha, received him into her house. Right? She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So we have Martha here. The Bible tells us, if you'll look at verse 38, that she received him, him into her house. Correct? And she's busy serving there, serving the Lord, um, which is a good thing. Serving the Lord, busy. But she gets an attitude in her serving the Lord. Okay? And uh, she rebukes, basically rebukes Jesus. Because Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's learning of Jesus and she's hearing the word of Jesus. Okay? While Martha's busy, if you will, in the kitchen, preparing a meal and, and serving Jesus, correct? So she, she gets all being out of shape. She gets all upset because nobody's helping her. Okay? And she rebukes Jesus basically because, you know, Mary's not coming to help her. That she's sitting at his feet. And Jesus looks at her and said, you're covered about with many things and troubled. But Mary had chosen that better part. And that better part is that she's taken the time to sit at the feet of Jesus to learn of Jesus. So we have seen them before. And the Bible tells us that it was Martha's house that this took place. So you need to kind of keep that in mind because if we go through the story, you're going to have the same characteristics seen in John chapter 11 with Mary and Martha that you see in Luke chapter 10. The same Martha's there in John chapter 11 as was in Luke chapter 10. The same Mary that was in Luke chapter 10 is in John chapter 11. Same characteristics. They haven't changed. Martha's still griping and complaining. And when you see Jesus, uh, you'll see, or when you see Mary, you will see her at the feet of Jesus again. Same characteristics, all right? Praise the Lord, church. So have a, with that in your, in your mind, the Bible says it was the house of Martha that this took place. You know, she was busy. She was a, a servant, which is good. But like I said, she got an attitude while she was serving. And she was cumbered about with many things. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. We got to get this done. Cumbered about with many things and troubled, you know. And here is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, you know, just enjoying the presence of the Lord and, and learning from the Lord. And here's busy Martha, griping and complaining as to why Mary won't get up and help her and basically rebuking Jesus 
for allowing Mary just to sit there. I'm telling you, Martha was the servant, but she was the griper. Boy, this is, see, I, you don't have to tell me something. I'm, I'm already starting to hit something in the house. Because there's some of you who are served Jesus Christ, and you serve Him faithfully, but you gripe the whole time. And you're coming about with many things and you're troubled. I gotta get this done. I gotta get this done. I gotta get this done. Oh, you pull your hair out of your head. You serve and you're faithful in your service, but you gripe in the process and you're troubled and you're coming about with many things. Jesus said there's something better than to be occupied and griping and complaining as you serve. The something better is to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, mind you that it is important that we serve Him, that we are busy doing the work of the Lord, but we shouldn't be griping and complaining and be troubled about it. But what is more important than to serve the Lord ultimately is to have a relationship with Him. See, there's a lot of people, they're busy serving God, but they don't, they don't have any relationship with God because they're too busy serving. And because they're too busy serving and because they don't have time to set at His feet, they're full of trouble. And they're coming about with many things. The best thing to do is to sit at the feet of Jesus, pray, have a relationship with Him and serving Him as well. Because if you serve Him that way, if you sit at His feet, then you won't be troubled and coming about with many things and griping all the time. If you have a relationship with Him and out of that relationship you serve Him, that's the best way to approach it. So the Bible says it was the house of Martha that all that took place. You go to John chapter 11. The scripture tells us it was at this location. Lazarus, a certain man named Lazarus, Eleazar, God is my help, at Bethany, the town of Mary. Say the town of Mary. You see, Luke chapter 10 tells us that it was the house of Martha. But in John chapter 11, it tells you it was the town of Mary. Now, of course, side note, Martha lived there too. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that the Word of God words things for a certain reason. They're not just there. Okay? Why in Luke chapter 10 does the Bible not tell us at that point it was the town of Martha or the town of Mary? It just simply says it was the house of Martha. And now in John chapter 11 it tells you that Bethany is the town of Mary. I believe God is trying to bring emphasis to you so you'll understand something. You can influence just your house or you can influence the whole town. And Martha influenced her house by being cumbered about with many things and being troubled and busy, busy, busy. She influenced her house, but Mary affected a whole town. So it was called the town of Mary and the house of Martha. So you have to make up your mind what kind of person you're going to be. If you're just going to affect and influence your house or if you're going to affect and influence a whole town. Praise the Lord. It'd be good if you affected and influenced your house and also affected and influenced the whole town. But I tell you, it's better to influence a whole town than it is just to influence your little house. So Martha was busy serving. The pots and the pans were rattling and 
You know, she was cooking and you could hear it going on in the kitchen. And she was getting it done, but she missed the most important part and the better part, and that was to sit at the feet of Jesus and have a relationship with Him. But here was Mary, devoted Mary, sitting at His feet, learning of her Lord. And when Martha came and started gropping about it, Jesus rebuked her. He said, you're coming about with many things and you are troubled. Mary has chosen that better part. So when you're serving, don't forget your relationship with the Lord. Because that's the better part. And if you have a relationship with Him, and out of that relationship, you have service that flows out of it. You will not just influence a home, but you'll influence a whole city. Are y'all here with me right now? And I've got people in this church, and we talk about Martha and Mary. We're not just talking about women. We're talking about men. Because there are a lot of men that are just coming about with many things and trouble. They're busy, busy, busy. They have no time for God. And you'll only influence your little house. But you ought to influence a town. You ought to have a desire to have an, an effect that is bigger than your little, your little group at your house. You ought to have a desire to make an impact on the city of Odessa, Texas. You ought to have a desire to make an impact on the sur surrounding cities around this city here in Odessa. Are y'all with me right now? I want not just to influence my own home. I want to influence a city. I want to make a difference in Odessa. I want to make a difference in Midland. I want to make a difference. That didn't cost you any extra. I just, we just threw that in. But the Bible tells us Verse 1, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany means the place of depression. It means the place of affliction. It means valley town. It also can be translated the house of dates because there were date palms that were located there. So in this place, the valley town or the place of depression, the place of uh, affliction, we have located now that Bethany is the one that's on the slope of the Mount of Olives, very near Jerusalem. This is the setting, the background of the event that's going to take place here. It is the town of Mary. And by the way, Martha happened to live there as well. In verse 2 it says, It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. This has not happened yet. But it's a little footnote. It's a parenthesis here. This was written years and years and years after the events. And John is just putting this little footnote or this parenthesis here. Hey, by the way, this is the same one who anointed the feet of Jesus Christ. You will see that anointing in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John, the next chapter. But he just makes a footnote here. Hey, by the way, this is the one who anointed Jesus. Give God praise. So, with that little parenthesis right there, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Say, he was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. So they gather a messenger, and they send the messenger to find the Lord Jesus Christ to tell him that Lazarus, Eleazar, my God is helped, is sick. Notice the Bible doesn't say they ask him to come. They just sent the message that Lazarus, whom you love, the word love here, the Greek word phileo, the one that you're fond of, 
Lazarus, your friend, is sick. They don't say, please come quickly. They just let Jesus know that the one that he loves, that, that he's a friend of, in their est estimation, are y'all with me? In Mary and Martha's estimation, they could say that Lazarus was Jesus' friend. The one that you love, the one that you're fond of, the one that is a friend of yours, he's sick. They didn't ask Jesus to come. They just gave the announcement by the hand of a messenger. And that messenger traveled a day to get over to the other Bethany of Beth Arbor where Jesus was having revival. Are y'all here? Why didn't they ask him to come? Because they put their trust and confidence in Jesus that once he got that message from the messenger about a day's journey away, that he would come instantly and immediately and, and pray for Lazarus to be healed of that sickness. Because they knew he was a compassionate God and that they, hey, Lazarus, the one that you love, your friend is sick. So in their estimation, in their mind, Jesus would very quickly come as soon as he got that message that Lazarus was sick. Are y'all with me right now? So they didn't make a request upon him. They sent the message and the Bible says when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. This sickness is not unto death. But what for? Why, why is he sick? It's for the glory of who? God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Are y'all here? So at this point, the only information he has is that his friend, Lazarus, the one he's fond of, is sick. Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. That means ultimate death. But it's for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. Now you've got to hold on to that. You've got to hold on to because I'm going to explain that to you in just a minute as we go through it. Because what is going to happen here in this chapter, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, is going to start the end for Jesus. It is going to bring about His death or His glorification. This event right here. Are y'all here with me now? So the last news that Jesus has got from the messenger is that Lazarus is sick. Amen. The last natural information He's got is that Lazarus is sick. And he has a response. It's not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus, look at this, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 3 says, The sister said to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. The one that you are fond of, the one that you're a friend of, he's sick. But the Bible says here in this verse, Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The word their love is not phileo or despondness. The word there is agape. See, in their mind, they said, Jesus, you're a friend of Lazarus and Lazarus is a friend of yours. That's the way they thought that he was a friend of their brother. That was from their perspective, but from Jesus' perspective, the Bible says he loved 
Mary, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were the stronger words. He loved them with agape love. See, he wasn't just fond of them. He wasn't just friends of theirs. The word agape means devoted to. Jesus was devoted to that family. He wasn't just a friend of that family. He was devoted to that family. Let me tell you, He loved this family more than He loved others. See, He loved His believers. He loved His disciples. But this particular family, He loved them more than even others. It wasn't a partiality. It was a relationship that He had with them. And when Jesus went and spent time with Martha and Mary and Lazarus in Bethany, He always felt at home. He always felt welcome. I will tell you, there's some places I would not want to spend the night in, even though they're believers. I would be looking for a way out of that house as soon as I could possibly get out of that house, even though they are believers. But when Jesus went to the house of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, He felt comfortable there. He felt at home there. And He loved them more than, more than they even imagined. Because they thought He was just a good friend. That He was fond of Lazarus. But Jesus says, no, I love you with agape love. I love you with a kind of love that cannot be stopped. I love you with a kind of love that is not just a fondness, but a devotion. Jesus is devoted to this family. He loves them with an unconditional, unstoppable kind of love. And they knew that Jesus loved them. They knew, you know, Phileo, that He at least was friendly toward them and felt at home when He came. And by the way, the last week leading up to His crucifixion, He'd go into the city of Jerusalem and He'd do what He needed to do there. And you know where He'd go spend the night? He walked right back into Bethany a couple of miles away from Jerusalem and he would sleep at night there in this family's home leading up to the crucifixion. So Jesus loved this family. He had a relationship with this family. There was a closeness. There was an intimacy between Jesus Christ and this family. It was not just a friendship, but it was a devoted kind of love, an unconditional, unstoppable kind of love that Jesus had toward this family. But yet this man was still sick. Some of you go through things and and you know you can't explain it why this is happening, why that is happening. You you begin to wonder if Jesus loves you. But I'm telling you right now that this man who Jesus was not just a friend of, but Jesus loved him unconditionally and with an unstoppable kind of love and a devoted kind of love. This man still got sick. So just because things happen to you like sickness that comes in your body. Let me tell you, that does not mean that Jesus stopped loving you. It also doesn't mean that it was the devil that brought the sickness on you. The Bible doesn't say the sickness came on Lazarus, Eleazar, because the devil put it on him. The Bible says Jesus said it was for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. There was a divine purpose in his sickness. It didn't come from the devil. 
It was that God would be glorified. The Son of God would be glorified. So sometimes when you wrestle with your dilemmas in life and you don't think Jesus loves you, you misunderstand that it may be that it's for the glory of God that you're going through what you're going through, that the Son of God might be glorified and the devil may not have anything to do with it at all. And you don't think Jesus loves you because of the condition you're in. The Bible said He loved them with an unconditional, unstoppable love of God. He was, he was committed to that family. He was devoted to that family. So His condition of sickness was not because God didn't love Him. It was because God was going to be glorified in and through that. And when you grope in darkness and you try to figure out in your sorrow and in your grief as you grope in darkness with your dilemma, you need to remember that that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God loves you when you're in your sickness. God loves you when you're in your dilemma. You are surrounded by darkness and despair and gloom and you can't figure it out. But He knows what He's doing. I said, He knows what He's doing. And I believe tonight there are some of you that, yeah, he, see, now listen to me. Lazarus is a, peep, a picture of the true believer. The true believer who Jesus Christ is in love with. The true believer who Jesus Christ is not just fond of, but the true believer God is committed to you with an unconditional, unstoppable kind of love if you are a true believer. And when you go through things in your life and you can't explain, you don't understand, you think, well, God doesn't love me or I wouldn't be going through that. Really? Where'd you get your theology? Well, this is coming from the devil. Where did you get that? It could be coming from God. God hasn't stopped loving you. He loves you. He hasn't stopped loving me. There's some things I don't understand that I'm groping with. I'm groping in the darkness. I can't figure it out. But God is telling me today, and He's telling you today, that He still loves you. It doesn't say that He got this sickness because there was sin in His life. He doesn't say this sickness came from the devil. The Bible says Jesus clearly states this sickness was not unto death, ultimate death. But it was for the glory of God that the Son of God would be glorified. Give the Lord praise in the house. And so, <clears throat> the messenger has gone that, that day and he's delivered the message that Lazarus is sick. On the way back, the messenger, as he's going back home, Lazarus dies of that sickness. And Jesus hasn't even been there. He hasn't got the latest news yet that the sickness had progressed to death. He hasn't got the news that the sickness has made its progression all the way to the point of killing Lazarus. He has not that news naturally. But he as God, when Lazarus dies, the moment that Lazarus dies, he as God receives the spirit of Lazarus. Nobody told him naturally that Lazarus had died. He knew it because he was caught. And so when Lazarus died, the last news Jesus ever got from the natural mouth was that he was sick. 
He never got the next news that Lazarus was dead from a natural method. He got it because he knew all things as God. He knew when Lazarus died and when he, when Lazarus died, the spirit of Lazarus went back to God who gave it. So Jesus being God, knowing all things, and Jesus being God, having received the spirit of Lazarus, placed him in Abraham's bosom. The location of departed spirits. No natural information was brought to Jesus. He as God knew all things and he as God received the spirit of Lazarus the moment that he went to sleep. And so he looks at his disciples having received this information. The Bible tells us, I read it to you, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. The information that came to him of the sickness of Lazarus did not move him because he was not controlled by human will. You hear what I'm telling you? You see, he's not controlled by human will or by human want. They didn't ask him to come. They just took it for granted that as soon as he got the information that he would be on his way. But Jesus, again, I'm telling you, is not controlled by human will or human whim. He's controlled by what God tells him to do when God tells him to do it. He's not controlled by, by when, men, when men wish him to do something or men want him to do something. He's controlled by the will of God, not the will of man. So he stayed there for two days. Are y'all with me today? Give God praise. So we know at least one day had gone by the day it took the messengers to bring the message. Maybe two days had gone by, but I always said this. One day went by, the messenger came and said he was sick. Jesus tarries for two days. He waits a total, a total of three days, right? You with me so far? Hallelujah. Before he even begins to make his journey to Bethany, which means he's going to take another day, which is the fourth day for him to even make it into Bethany from where he is. It's going to be four days of Lazarus being in the grave before Jesus ever shows up. He's not motivated. He's not led by human will and human want. He is directed by the will of God. We'll see in just a minute. So he tarries. He waits for two days. He's got the news. The man traveled the first day, so now he's waiting two more. That's three days, right? He's got the news. He's not moving just because he got the news. Come on, let me just tell you something. If you think you can twist God's arm into doing what you want Him to do when you want Him to do it, you got another thing coming. Because He is not, He does not move by your human will or your human whim or your human want. He is directed by the eternal spirit. Give God praise in the house. Give God praise. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I wish Jesus would come and do this. I wish Jesus would do it this way. This is the way I want Him to do it. This is what I want Him to do. This is my whim and this is my what. But He don't move on your whim and your want. He moves according to the eternal will of God. Don't, get, don't forget that. You cannot forget that. Because some of you, even here tonight, think that you are in charge of what God does. 
and what you want and how you want it and when you want it. You think God's supposed to just show up on your behalf. Say praise the Lord. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. You're going to go back to Jerusalem where they tried to stone you to death? In the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, they tried to kill you because you made yourself equal with God. Are y'all with me today? Where you said that you were, uh, I am the good shepherd, I am the door, the sheep folded, making yourself equal with you. They would have tried to kill you for that. And now you want to go back over there close to Jerusalem and you're having a tremendous revival in Bethany. Why would you want to go back to Jerusalem when you're having a revival? When people are coming to you and responding to you and tremendous revival has broken out in the Bethany over there in Beth Arba. The disciples can't understand why Jesus would want to go back to a place where they would want to kill you. So the Bible says he looks at his disciples. Then after that saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples said to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? See, his disciples, they're thinking they love the Master. They love Jesus. So they're trying to protect him. Why would you want to go back, Jesus, to that place that they tried to kill you? They tried to stone you two times there. Why would you want to go back there? There's a tremendous revival breaking out right now. Why go back to that area called Judea? They love Jesus. They love their master. And so they wanted to take precaution. They wanted him to be uh, to take precaution. They didn't want him to take the chance. They didn't want him to risk it. Maybe if he goes back, that somebody's going to kill him if he shows back up there in that area. They've already tried to do it before and they're going to try again. So coming out of the disciples' love for Jesus Christ, their master, they're questioning, why would you want to go back to that place they're trying to kill you? Give God praise. Verse 9. What you are about to hear come from the mouth of Jesus Christ is one of the most profound statements you'll ever hear out of the Word of God. And I want you to hear what He says. I don't want you to assume what He says. I want you to hear what is about to come out of His mouth. It is an answer and a response to their concern about Him going back to Judea where they were trying to kill Him. Look at His response. Verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. Notice what Jesus said. He didn't say he stumbles because of the night. He says a man stumbles or is offended. Are y'all with me? The word stumble means to be offended or to fall away. He said a man stumbles or is offended or falls away not because of the night, but because there's no light in him. Did you catch that? Jesus did not say that stumbling is as a result of the night. He says the reason why a man stumbles is because there's no light in the man in the darkness. 
You got to hear what I'm telling you. Listen, as I, as I prepared for the, this whole section here to preach it to you tonight, I focused in on this one statement from Jesus Christ so I could understand what he was saying. He wasn't saying that a man stumbles because of the night. He says a man stumbles because there's no light in the man. Because if there's light in the man, it doesn't matter how dark it is. If there's light in the man, he will not stumble. He will not fall. He will not be offended. What's he saying? What's he saying? Look at it again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? In that time, they divided the day 12 hours for daytime and 12 hours for nighttime. So he says, now don't forget, there is a set time of the day. It's a set time. And Jesus realizes that his ministry is getting close to the end of the day. And darkness is fixing to fall when he dies on the cross. So he recognizes that the end of the day is near, all right? But it's not the end of the day yet. Which means until it's God's time for him to die. Your precaution, disciples. Are y'all with me? Your precaution cannot lengthen the time. Nor can the plot of my enemies shorten the time. Even though they may be plotting to kill me, they can't shorten the time. And your precaution, disciples, oh, let's not go to Judea, you know, because remember, they're going to try to kill you over there. Your precaution, disciples, are not going to lengthen my time on the earth. What he's telling them is I'm under the control of God's time clock. And precaution will not lengthen my time. And a plot to kill me will not shorten my time. Because I'm walking in the light. Jesus said, I'm not in the darkness. He said, I know where I'm going. He said, I know what I'm doing. So when I go to Judea, don't worry about me stumbling. Because I know what I'm doing. I'm in the plan of God. I'm on God's timetable. And because I'm on God's time clock. I'm on God's timetable. Precaution won't lengthen the time and their plot to kill me won't shorten the time. It's going to be 12 hours. And he's already said, my hour is not yet come. When they tried to stone him with stones, my hour is not yet come. So they couldn't kill him with stones because his hour of death had not yet come. It wasn't the 12th hour of the day yet. So he's letting them know because he's walking in the will of God according to the redemptive plan of God on God's time clock. Nobody can shorten that time even though they're plotting to kill him and nobody can lengthen the time by precaution. He says, I know what I'm doing. I know when I'm going to do it. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not going to stumble. It's not going to be an accident when I get there because I'm moving according to God's time clock. Give God praise in the house. He is moving on a predetermined schedule. Nobody can affect that schedule. 
Nobody can shorten it or lengthen it no matter what they do because it's God's time clock. Do you see what I'm telling you right now? Give the Lord praise in the house. So he's saying, don't worry about me stumbling in the dark. How are you with me right now? Because I'm walking in the will, the light, or the plan of God. I know what I'm doing. And because I know what I'm doing, I'm not going to stumble. I'm not going to fall. Give God praise in the house. I'm not going to be offended. They can't kill me because I have a predetermined time. I'm on God's time clock. Give the Lord praise. And as long as Jesus walked according to God's plan and according to God's time clock, nothing could happen to him. He was secure in the will of God. He said it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like the sun in the daytime. When it's shining, it's shining on everything. And you're able to see the obstacles that are in front of you that would cause you to stumble. Are y'all with me right now? But you let the light go out. And then you start having problems because you can't see. The problem is not the darkness. The problem is the light is not there to expose the obstacles. So he said, when I walk up to Jerusalem or Bethany, close to Jerusalem, he said, I, he is the light of the world. And he's walking in the full light and will of the spirits of God. And so he's not going to be tripped up by any obstacle that somebody would set in front of him. Are y'all here with me now? So now watch what he says. Look at verse 10. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. So now he shifts it to the disciples. And he lets them know, as long as you walk with me, the light to the world, you don't have to worry about it because you are secure. It's, listen carefully. As long as you fulfill the plan of God in your life, as long as you fulfill the will of God in your life, then you're walking in the light. But if you let the light of God go out inside of you, What's going to happen is you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to be offended, not because of the darkness, but because you let the light go out. And if you let the light go out, that means darkness has flooded your soul. What he's telling you is, listen to me, as long as you don't walk in unbelief, as long as you don't walk in unbelief and disobedience and rebellion against the plan of God, as long as you keep the light on, you will be able to see when the obstacles are there, where they are, even in a very dangerous situation, even when there's darkness all around, because you've got light in you, because Jesus is in you, you've got night vision. So he's letting them know, and he's letting you know, as long as you let the light shine in you, as long as the light doesn't go out in you, you will not stumble in dangerous situations. But if you let the light go out inside of you and you start walking in unbelief, are you with me today? And you get rebellious against the plan of God, then you will stumble. You will become offended. So what is he saying to them? He's saying keep the light burning on the inside of you. 
Jesus has already said, I'm the light of the world. He's, this is more than just natural light. He's letting you know as long as He's in you, as long as the light is in you, and you are walking in that light, the will of God, and the plan of God, you are secure in God. But the moment you let that light go out, and some of you have let the light go out, you are groping in darkness. You are trying to figure out why is this happening? These disciples, Martha and Mary, in this passage, are groping in darkness, trying to figure out why their brother Lazarus has died. But Jesus walks on the scene, being the light of the world, and there is no darkness there. He's walking in light. He knows what he's doing. He's not going to stumble. Are y'all here? He knows. He's got a revelation of the plan of God. And he knows that he's secure in God and so therefore he is a contrast to the darkness in that home so his answer to the disciples as to Jesus they tried to kill you of a late of late they tried to stone you to death and you want to go back to Judea see they're trying to talk him out of it they're trying to get him to be precautious He's saying, don't worry about it. I'm on God's time clock. Nobody can lengthen the time by precaution. And nobody can shorten the time by plotting my death. It's not for the clock yet. And as long as you disciples walk with me into Judea, because I'm the light of the world and I'm in you and with you, in the midst of you, because I'm in the midst of you, you don't have to worry either. You're secure. You're secure as long as you stay in the will of God. You're secure as long as you stay in the plan of God. You get out of His will. You get out of His plan. The light goes out. And then you start groping and you stumble and you fall. See, I'm trying to tell you tonight, church, that the problem is not the darkness. The problem is the light has gone out in some. As long as that light is still on inside of you, as long as Jesus burns bright inside of you, as long as you're fulfilling His will and His plan in your life, then no matter what comes your way, no matter what darkness tries to come, the darkness will not cause you to stumble because you have a light inside of you that gives you the ability to see in the dark times. Give God worship in the house. Give Him praise in the house. So if you read the passage, you think somebody stumbles because of the darkness. He says no. He said the reason why they stumble is because there's no light in them. Keep the light on. Let me let you in on something. I'm, this, I, I could preach on this alone tonight. I don't have time to really get into it in depth. But I will tell you this. The problem with so many of the church today is that they, in, see in the daytime, if it's, if it's daytime, you can't tell if the light's gone out. See, as long as Jesus was with them, you understand? They couldn't tell if the light had gone out because the light is on. Let me hear what I'm telling you. See, you come to church, 
and the light is there. And because the light is there in church, you can't tell if your light has gone out. Because the preacher's preaching. And the light is there. You can't tell that your light has gone out because the light of the preacher is there. The light that's in the church is there. But when you leave the church, or you leave the preaching of the Word of God, and you go home, if you don't turn the light on at home, when you walk into your house, you didn't realize the light was out because you were in church. You didn't realize the light was out because the preacher was there. The preaching was there. But when you walked in your house into that dark situation, you recognize the light has gone out. I didn't know it though as long as I was in church. I didn't know it as long as the preacher was preaching because you didn't recognize the light had gone out because you were in the atmosphere of light. But when you walked home, you found out if the light was still on or not. So when you go home, what do you do when you step into that dark place? Come on, you have to deal with the darkness that is in you. You have to deal with the night condition that is in you. So when you walk into that home where the night is, your light's gone out. You have to turn on the light. Say, Jesus, I want to do your will. I want to fulfill your plan in my life. I say yes to the will of God. I recommit myself. I rededicate myself. Turn on the light. So now, when you walk out of the light, the church, and out from underneath the preaching of the word of God, which is light, then you go into your house. And you walk in and say, why is there so much darkness here? You have to turn the light on. And when you walked in that dark situation, he gave you the ability to see how much light you really had. See, the problem is not the night. The problem is there's no light in the person. And you don't know it until you get away from the church, until you get away from the preaching of the Word of God, and you step into your everyday life. Are you walking in His plan? Are you walking in His will? Turn the light on! It was unthinkable for Jesus to rebel against the plan of God. God, Jesus would not even think about rebelling against the plan of God. I'm in God's plan. I'm on His time clock. So nobody can shorten the time or lengthen the time. You hear me? I know what I'm doing, He says, because I'm doing the will of God. So it's not going to be an accident. I will fulfill the plan of God. That's what He's telling them. I will fulfill the plan and the purpose of God. And as long as the light is in you, you will not stumble either. Because even though you may be surrounded with darkness, because the light is in you, you will have night vision. And you will see the obstacles that are in front of your dangerous path. And you will be able to avoid them. And fulfill the plan and the purpose and the will of God in your life. Do you understand what I am telling you tonight? The moment you rebel against His plan, 
the moment that you get out of His will, all of a sudden you're going to feel this groping in darkness. The darkness was already there. But as long as the light was burning bright in you, you could see through that darkness. But when you get out of His will and His plan, and you rebel against Him, all of a sudden you start walking in a darkness and in despair. The darkness was always there. So what do you do now? Get back in His will. Get back in His plan. And when you get in His will and you get in His plan, you are protected by God. You are secure in Him because His light, His will, His plan is being fulfilled in your life. Just letting them know. Don't worry about it. I'm secure. I'm not walking in the dark. He said, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm on God's time clock. I'm not on Martha's time clock. I'm not on Mary's time clock. I'm on God's time clock. I am moving according to the divine will of God. Not according to the whims and wants of the flesh. Give the Lord praise in the house. What some of you got to do right now, you're groping. You're trying to find answers. What you got to do is say, let the light come on. Turn on the light. Will you turn on the light? Come on, somebody. You'll be able to see. Get back in His will. Get back in His plan. And the light will show you the obstacles that are trying to destroy you. They're saying, don't fear the night. Don't fear the danger. As long as you're in the perfect plan and will of God. That brings God's security and protection. And nobody can do you any harm. Disciples, I understand how much you love me. And I understand you want me to take some precaution. Because somebody wants to kill me. But you've got to understand... I'm not walking in the dark. I know what I'm doing. I'm moving according to the will of God. And there is a time clock I'm walking, I'm moving by that nobody can shorten and nobody can read. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. These things said he after that. He said, these things said he. That was his response to their statement. Don't you know that he told me about a kid the last time he was there? Let me tell you something. When Jesus opened his mouth and said things, you had to listen to what he was saying. He didn't say they stumbled because of the darkness. They said because, he said they stumbled because the light is not in them. Some of you would think, well, they stumbled because of the night. No, they stumbled because the light is not on. How many of you have the light burning brightly in you right now? You're walking in the will and the plan and the purpose of God. You are not rebelling, rebelling against His redemptive plan. His redemptive plan. Woo, I feel caught in this place. 
I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. God's trying to help you. He's trying to help you and me. Turn the light on. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, turn the light on. Get in his will. Get in his plan. And you will not stumble. You will not be offended. You will not fall. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how dangerous it gets. You are immortal as long as you're in His will or in His plan. The devil can't kill you. Man can't plot and plan against you to kill you. If you're in God's will and God's plan and you got the light in you, that darkness cannot shorten your time. And your precaution cannot lengthen your time. Are there not 12 hours in the day? These things saith he. And after that, he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Nobody had brought him any new fresh news. No natural man told him that Lazarus was sleeping. He as God received the spirit of Lazarus. And he asked God, none less than God. See, he had to be God to know that Lazarus had gone to sleep. He had to be God to have received the spirit of Lazarus when Lazarus went to sleep. Jesus said, Lazarus is asleep. Because in the vocabulary of the believer, the word death is gone. Are you with me? If you're a believer, and you, come on somebody, let's just use it in, in, in language. If you die, if you're a believer, you're just asleep. I said you're just asleep. Your soul is not asleep. Your body is asleep until he wakes the body up. There's no such thing as soul sleep. Some teach that when you die, your soul just goes to sleep. No. When you, let's use the term, die. Come on. From your point of view, when you die, your soul doesn't go to sleep. It doesn't cease to exist. You're, you are not gone forever. You do not stop being aware of things. Your spirit goes back to God who gave it completely aware. Still, come on somebody tonight, give God praise. You're still aware. I'm going to prove it to you. Are y'all with me? No such thing as soul sleep. When you're, if you die, let's use that term, your body goes in the grave, your body's asleep until Jesus wakes the body up. But your soul is not asleep. Your soul doesn't die. The term death. Are y'all with me in an ultimate sense? Goes out of the vocabulary of the believer. First Thessalonians 4. Those that are alive and remain. Those that are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. 
shall not prevent those who precede those. Are y'all with me today? Which are what? Are asleep. If you want to use it, fine. The dead in Christ shall rise first. If you want to use it, fine. But I'm just telling you that all it is in the eyes of God is sleep for the believer. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive, not living, but are alive. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It doesn't say the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are living. It says the dead in Christ shall rise first and those that are alive and remain. See, just because you're living doesn't mean you're going. But are you alive spiritually? Are you alive spiritually? See, Jesus said, he's just asleep. He's just asleep. That's what Jesus said. So he called, if you will, death sleep for the believer. By the way, this he, at this point, he's not in a public ministry. At this point, he's ministering only to the believer. At this point, he's only ministering to his followers. His public ministry is over. Only to his believers. Only those who are following him is he ministering to. Are y'all with me? So he looks. These things say, "He are you with me?" Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. It wasn't that his spirit was asleep, because when Jesus said, "Lazarus, come forth," Lazarus could hear him. His spirit had not ceased to exist. His spirit was not gone forever. When Jesus talked to him, he could hear. Which means he was aware of what was being said. He had not ceased to exist. He had not gone forever. But his body was asleep. He's just going to go wake Jesus. I'm just going to wake him up. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So when the believer, let's use the term, dies. Yeah, I guess in one sense it's a true biblical word, the dead in Christ. I'm trying to focus on something you're asleep. If you die as a believer, we see you laying in the coffin. Coffin, We see your body there. Your body's just asleep. But you haven't ceased to exist. You haven't stopped being aware. You're not gone forever. You're just asleep. Your body's asleep. But your spirit is still awake. Your spirit is still aware. Are y'all with me right now? You haven't gone forever. Woo, good Lord, praise of the house. <laughs> I was like, well, he's asleep. That's a good thing. It's a good thing if he's asleep. He'll get better. He'll recover. He needs his rest. You know, if the man's sick, the best thing he can do is to sleep. If he sleeps, then he'll get stronger and he'll recover. See, they're thinking physical sleep. Jesus is talking about he's asleep, his body is asleep, his body, if you will, has died. Are you with me? He's like, yeah, it's good for him if he's taking a nap. It's a good thing. Let him sleep. Don't bother him. Verse 
verse 12. Verse 13. Howbeit Jesus spake of his what? Death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. He was taking a nap. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus has died. Your Bible says Lazarus is dead. Literally, Lazarus has died. Your language. Okay? He said, so I can get down to your level so you'll understand what I'm talking about. From my perspective as God, he's only asleep. But so I can relate to you, he said, I'll talk to you in your language. Lazarus has died. And nobody has told him naturally anything. He is God, knew all things, and he is God, received the spirit of Lazarus. No natural voice told him. Woo, glory to God. All right, so you can get it, so you can understand. Lazarus is tied. You get it now? Do you, do you get it now? Lazarus is tied. I guarantee you, if I was one of his disciples, I know for some of you who are, see, listen to me. Oh, I'm not going to get on to you. You help me tonight. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, plainly, Lazarus has died. Isn't that amazing? If I were one of the disciples, I've already seen him do many mighty works. This is his seventh miracle. This is his seventh sign. It is his seventh sign. And it's going to be the greatest of all those that preceded it. And we've already seen six other signs of miracles before this one. And this is the greatest one yet. But when he starts talking about Lazarus has died and nobody has even told him that, if I were the disciples, I'd start looking at each other. How does he know that Lazarus has died? <laughs> How about you? How do you think he knew that Lazarus had died if nobody told him? He's God. See, that's what the Gospel of John is trying to teach you is that Jesus was none less than God Almighty coming to flesh. John, John is writing to the believer to teach them that Jesus is God come to flesh or the incarnation is two natures living in the same body. He is man and God at the same time. Incarnation. Two natures living in the same body. Do I have time to tell you that his genealogy is not given. I don't have time. Are y'all with me? I don't have time to talk to tell you. Are y'all here? About all the things that John has left out so he could emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ. But the fact that Jesus knows that Lazarus has died. Come on. And nobody's told him. How'd you know that? Because as God, He received the spirits of those who passed from this earth. Come on, the spirit goes back to God who gave it. He had received the spirit of Lazarus being God. And being God knew all things. Oh, glory to God. And when Jesus walks up, he doesn't resuscitate Lazarus. Nor does he resurrect Lazarus. 
you resuscitate somebody, their heart starts beating. You get these things and you put them on their chest and boom, get their heart and start beating again. That's about how my, mine beats. Some of yours beat like that. That's a resuscitation. A resurrection is you have died. You've gone into death. You've conquered death. And you've come up on the other side of death. Resurrection is you've died. You've gone into death. You've faced death. You've conquered death. You preach death's grave, uh, preach death's funeral, and come up on the other side having conquered death. Lazarus wasn't resurrected, Lazarus died again. If you're resurrected, you never die again. If you're resurrected, you never deal with that sin nature ever again. If you're resurrected, Lazarus was not resurrected, nor was he resuscitated. He was brought back to die again. Jesus was the first one who was ever resurrected from the dead. He's the first begotten from the dead. The first one to ever rise from the dead, which means he died, went into death, and came out on the other side, having conquered death and preached its funeral. He's the only one who had... He was the first one to be resurrected from the dead. Lazarus was not resuscitated and Lazarus was not resurrected. He was raised. He was brought back. To die again. The Bible tells us. Verse 14, then said Jesus unto them, plainly Lazarus has died. Your language. So you'll get it. You get it? You see it? You understand it? And I am glad for your sakes. You're glad for their sakes. Lazarus is sick. Jesus loves Lazarus. Jesus tarries two days after getting the message. Why did he wait? Why did he tarry? Because he loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. That's why he tarried. Because he loved Lazarus. But Lazarus was sick. Because he loved Lazarus. He didn't show up immediately. You got it just the opposite. You think Jesus didn't love you? He, the reason why he didn't show up when you wanted him to was because of his love for you. He said, plainly, Lazarus has died. And he says, I was glad. What? And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe Nevertheless, let us go unto him. He said, I'm glad that I wasn't there. To the end that you may believe. I've got to teach you how to believe. He said, I'm going to show you how to believe. That if I can call a man out of the grave, bring him back from the dead, when they kill me, I can raise my own body. 
when they kill me, not too long from now, you will have faith and you will not grope in darkness. You will have faith when they kill me, knowing that I have the ability to bring a man from the grave. Give God praise in the house. He did it for a reason, that they might believe. Glory to God. He said, I'm glad. Verse 16, then said Thomas, which is called Didymus. Thomas comes from the Aramaic, means twin. Didymus comes from the Greek word, means twin, means the same thing. I wonder who Thomas's or Didymus's twin was. The Bible doesn't tell me who his twin was, but that's what his name means, twin. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're his twin. Maybe God doesn't tell us who his twin is because when you look in the mirror, you see his twin. Thomas, twin. Didymus, twin. Means the same thing. He's a twin. Look at your name and say, maybe you're his twin. Maybe you have his characteristics. See, but I will tell you this about Thomas. I think that really... A lot of times, he's labeled with that old label, Doubting Thomas. Let me tell you something. At times, he wasn't a doubter. At times, Thomas was courageous. And this is one of them. I'm going to prove it to you. What does Thomas say? He looks at his fellow disciples. Let us also go that we may die with Him. You have to read the other chapters and, and put the harmony of the Gospels in line to understand why He would make that statement. He's not telling them, let's go up and die with Lazarus. He's saying, let us go up and die with Him. Jesus! This man, Thomas, had the courage... Alright, if he's going to go up and they're going to kill him, let's just go and die with him. See, he wasn't always a doubter. There were times when Thomas was a disciple of courage. He was willing to die for Jesus. He loved Jesus so much, he said, let us go up and die with him. He wasn't talking about Lazarus. He was talking about dying with Jesus. That takes courage. Are you out there? As they praise the Lord. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, there's a message I preached in October of 2010. It's not too late, Lazarus. And I showed you the possibility that he was buried according to the customs of Egyptian custom. Because many of the Jews uh, there in this area had relocated from Egypt. And many of the Jews in this area practiced the custom of Egyptian burial practices. I'm not getting into that tonight. If you want the message, it's October 2010. It's not too late, Lazarus. 
I don't have time to get into that tonight. Listen. If it was according to the Egyptian burial customs, he died, that's one day. And then four days, at this point, he's in the grave, which means he's been dead for five days. If it's according to the Egyptian custom. If it's according to the Jewish custom, they buried him on the same day. So four days before, in Jewish custom, he would die and they would be buried on the same day because they didn't embalm him. And there was no refrigeration. So they took him the same day of death and they buried him. Okay. It's Jewish custom. That means he died. He's been in the grave four days. Okay. If it's Egyptian custom, he died one day and then they buried him the next day and he's been in the grave for four days. So he's been dead for five days according to Egyptian custom or he's been dead four days according to Jewish custom. But anyway, I don't want to confuse you. I just want to tell you that he's been in the grave for four days. Let's just make it simple. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's just, just keep it simple. Hallelujah. I'm a simple-minded man preaching to simple-minded people. So I'm going to keep it simple. He's been in the grave four days. Do you understand what's going on here? Why Jesus had not done with him what he had done with the widow's son, the widow of man, who had just recently died. He walked up and stopped the funeral procession and called the spirit of that young man back into his body the same day of his death. Or why he did not treat Lazarus the way he treated that little girl. Tabitha, arise! The same day she died. Why does he wait till the fourth day? Because, number one, the Jews believe that the soul of the person hovered over the body for three days in the sepulchre. And on the fourth day, they believe the spirit or the soul of that man or woman left the body in the grave and made its way to the underworld. So that in their mind, if somebody was dead four days, it would be impossible for them to be raised from the dead because their soul has already left the sepulcher. In their mind, it was impossible for even God to raise a man who had been dead four days. Oh, it's no big deal. They thought in their minds that Jesus raised a man, a young man the same day because his body was still around. His spirit was still around. Or if he raised a little girl on the same day because her spirit was still hovering there, trying to get back into the body. But you got a man that's beyond the third day. He's, he's in the fourth day. The spirit is already gone into the underworld. and their mind, it's impossible for even God to raise that one from the dead. And not only that, as Martha will say, Behold, he speaketh. That means his body on the fourth day has already begun to decay and decompose. Rigor mortis has already come and gone. The stiffness of the muscles that took place in the first few hours of his death. The stiffest point of that man's body would be around the 10th or 12th hour. And after 72 hours, his muscles would begin to relax. 
So he's beyond rigor mortis, the stiffening of the dead. His body is beginning to decay, decompose. The spirit is out of the sepulcher. It no longer is trying to get back into the body. The eyes are decayed. Are y'all with me? The heart hasn't had blood pumping in for four days. The blood, the heart has begun to decay. Are y'all with me right now? The eyes, the heart, the tongue, if it's still in the body, if it's Egyptian custom, they took all that out and put it on the side. If it's Jewish custom, his heart, four days, hasn't pumped any blood. His eyes, they begin to dissipate. His tongue, is beginning to decay. Behold, you sleep. So Jesus did this for a reason. There would be no doubt when he raises Lazarus from the dead, they didn't even believe God could do it. The man's already starting to decompose. That is powerful. Hallelujah. So it tells you here, not, where's that in the Bible, Pastor? Give me the Bible, book. Give me verse, chapter and verse. I want to know chapter and verse. You don't know chapter. Chapter and verse is not in the Bible. You got to study the history of burial customs. And I want chapter and verse. Yeah, I don't know. When Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. There it identifies with Bethany. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. They're all gathered there. I say some of the Jews. Many of the Jews came from Jerusalem to comfort Martha and Mary. Jews walking from Jerusalem, walking over there a couple of miles to to Bethany to comfort them? Some of them probably sincere. Some of them professional mourners. I kid you not. There were people who mourned professionally for money. They would hire you. If you could mourn, you could cry, if you could wail, man. They say, we pay you a certain amount of money to come to our our, uh, you know, the death of our loved one, just to hear you scream and cry. And you'd have had no feeling for that person whatsoever. But because you were a professional mourner, they paid you money. You showed up and just wailed, screamed as loud as you could. See, they're not like America. America, when somebody passes away, we have a big dinner like it's a, a wedding instead of a funeral. We have flowers to cover the situation up, you know. We gotta make it look as good as we possibly can. So get, get flowers and have a big dinner and have, you know, that's a big celebration or something. But in that culture, when somebody passed away, you could hear them crying a mile away. Especially the professional mourners. I got some professional mourners in here. And you don't even get paid. You just want everybody to feel sorry for you. Wah, 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 wah. I'm not asking for money. Just feel sorry for me. That's my wages. That's good enough for me. Wah, 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 wah. 
But here they all come. Some sincere, some who knew them, and some who didn't. Some professional who were paid to, to wail and cry. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, and went and met him, but Mary stayed still in the house. She hears that Jesus is, he hadn't come into Bethany yet, but she hears that he's coming. And she, Martha, jumps up, runs out the door, leaves Mary sitting in the house. Mary's really doing what she's supposed to do. She's supposed to say, stay seven days in the house and take care of the guest who's come. Martha runs out the door to meet Jesus. And when she meets Jesus, she said, If thou hast been here, our brother will not have died. The griper, the complainer, the one that was troubled and covered about with many things. The one who did not sit at the feet of Jesus. Where's she at? She's standing up. And the Bible doesn't tell me her, the emotion she's in, but because of the way I've seen her in the past, so it lets me know the way she approached Jesus. Like, where have you been? Where have you been? If you had been here, our brother would not have died. Where have you been? Kind of a thing. On the other hand, when Mary approached him, she said the same thing, but it was more like, I'm sorry we couldn't make time. Because I know if you'd had time, you could have made a difference. That's the attitude she would have had. And Martha said, where you been? Why didn't you come? Because I'm not on your timetable. I'm on God's. I'm not moved by your whim and your what. I'm under God's divine direction. Praise the Lord. Let's need, let's need to see what kind of conversation they had together. You ready? I'm almost done. About the next hour. Remember the Jews came to Martha and Mary to come to them concerning the brother and then Martha as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming went and met him but Mary still was sat still in the house. Say she sat still in the house. Mary had an eclipse in her soul. The sun of her soul has been eclipsed by her sorrow. She is deeply hurting. She's sitting there in her house. She still believes. But she's hurting deeply. Hurting deeply. Disappointed. Why didn't Jesus come? It'll come out of her mouth. There has been an eclipse in her soul. Darkness has filled her spirit. But she still believes. And she's sitting in her house and Martha runs out the door to meet Jesus. The Bible says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. <laughs> you see it? Now, I don't want to give her an attitude. But I've seen her attitude before. I can tell you I don't see her falling at, falling at the feet of Jesus here. In submission, I see her standing. When you see Mary, you see Mary at his feet again. 
that shows me her attitude. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Disappointment in her voice, but also faith. If he had been here, he wouldn't have died. You know, you'd, all you had to do is go pray or speak the word, and he'd have been healed of that sickness. But she's not in his feet. She says, but I know that even now whatsoever thou would ask of God, God will give thee. I don't think she believed. I don't think she was thinking that Jesus could raise him from the dead because when he gets ready to raise him from the dead, he says, roll the stone away. Martha says, he speaketh by now. It wasn't in her mind that Jesus would raise him from the dead. But what she said, she read it. She says, okay, look at it. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou would ask of God, God will give it to you. Her faith is not complete. Her understanding of Jesus is not complete. Because he's more than an intermediary, in an intermediary between God and himself, God and humanity. He's the life himself looking at her. In her mind, all he is is just a man that can pray and touch God. She believes he's the son of God, but when she approaches him, she approaches him as one that can pray and God will hear you and do what you ask. But she doesn't totally understand that the life is standing right there in front of her. Be life. Be life. God Himself. So she did have faith. Verse 22. Verse 22. Jesus said unto him, Thy brother shall rise again. He had already said to his disciple, This sickness is not unto death. That the God would be glorified. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God would be glorified. But he's died. But he said he's not unto death. Ultimately, thy brother shall rise again. It's not even in her mind that it's about to happen. She said, I know theology. I know theology. There'll be a resurrection in the last day. I know that. That's what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 12. I know that. There's going to be a resurrection in the last day. There's going to be a resurrection in the kingdom age when Messiah comes back. He's going to raise the dead and set up the kingdom. Ah, I know. She said, I know theology. Martha said to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, she doesn't have a re she. They, none of these people have a revelation of the rapture of the church. Paul was the first one to ever get that revelation that living people would be caught up and taken to heaven. Old Testament saints didn't have that revelation, but they did have a revelation that the last day that God would raise the dead. They did have that. Paul was the first one to get the revelation that living people would be caught up and go to heaven. Behold, I show you a mystery. 
with a mystery. Say praise the Lord, church. Jesus saith unto her, verse 23, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am. I am. A minimal, at a minimum, it's the sixth time he says, I am. He said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door of the sheepfold. And, um, anyway. I can't remember all of them. We've already covered them. I am, he said. I I am. You're looking at not just a man who can talk to God. You're looking at I am. You're looking at Yahweh. You're looking at the life and light of the world. He had already said, I am the light of the world. And the light was the life of men. And you're looking, you're looking at Yahweh, the light of the world. You are looking at I am the resurrection and the life. He said, he said, I'm gonna cause the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. Not just in the last day, but at any time he chooses to. I am the resurrection and the life. He's bigger than even Martha realizes. He is the eternal I am. He's the eternal God. I am. The eternal God. I am. The resurrection and the life. You get that? He that believeth in me. Say, he that believeth in me. Though he were dead, yet shall he lived. In case you don't know it, when you got born again in the water and the spirit, you came alive spiritually. Because he is the resurrection and the life. He's fixing to raise a man from physical death to prove that he can give you everlasting life. To prove to you that he can give you eternal life. By his death on the cross. He give you spiritual life. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? You will see spiritual life. They, even if they put your body in a grave, your body's just asleep. It's not really dead. It's just asleep. Your spirit is not dead at all. It has moved into everlasting eternal life with Jesus Christ. It just moved out of that home and went to God who gave it. I'm telling you, Jesus is telling you right now, if you're a believer, you'll never die. That doesn't mean you might not go to sleep. Your body go to sleep. But you are not dead. You didn't cease to exist. You're not gone forever. You are still aware. Are y'all getting this? 
question is, do you believe? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. She confessed her faith. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master has come and called for thee. That's not recorded in the Bible. We don't have that conversation. In fact, we don't have all the conversation that Jesus had with Martha. But we know it's the truth because she wouldn't have said the master calls for you if he had not called for her. So Martha goes and finds Mary still in the house with her eclipsed soul. Her soul has eclipsed the light in her. And just as Martha, she's groping for answers in her little dark world. But the light, which is the life of him, is right there waiting for her. The Bible says, As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. This is Mary. And look at the attitude by her posture. Look at the attitude of Mary by her posture. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was into that place where Martha met him. The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily, went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Mary runs out of the, or goes out of the house, and the Jews that were mourning follow her. They think she's going to the grave. That's not according to custom. But the only conclusion that they could come to instead of her staying there with them according to custom is that she's going to grave to visit the grave. So they get up and they follow Mary out of the house. And the Bible says, verse 32, then when, Mary, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell down at his feet. Where we have always seen her before. Submitted in her spirit to her Lord. I don't want to read anything into the text, but it seems to me that Martha standing before the Lord, as I said, had an attitude. Where you been? Why didn't you show up? Because if you had, if you have faith, you know you could have done it. But Mary fell at his feet where she always was found. And by her relationship, by her posture, she was saying, she'll say the same thing Martha did, but her attitude, I believe, was different. If you could have been here, sort of that, that attitude, if you could have been here, if you would have had time to be here, I know my brother would not have died. See, her attitude, I believe, was different than the griper. Martha's still griping right to the end. What do you mean roll the stone away? He stinketh by now. <laughs> no Martha ever changed. But Mary was at his feet. As a submitted woman to her Lord. 
when I get to heaven and I see Martha and Mary, I hope nobody tells Martha what I've been saying today. And I'll just have to tell her, well, I'm just going on the first account I saw you. It didn't seem like you had changed very much in, in the last few years. But I see you changed now. Are y'all awake tonight? She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And Jesus therefore saw her weeping. The word weeping here is not just tears running down the face. The word weeping here means they were wailing. There was such deep pain in her, such deep sorrow in her, that she is screaming in pain. In agony. Tears running down her face, wailing. The Jews are over here, the mourners, the professional mourners and others. Oh, they're all just wailing and screaming, and the sorrow has gripped them. They're groping in darkness. But the light is standing out there. But I will tell you this that when she got up, and she went to him. The darkness, the eclipse that was in her soul caused by her grief, she pushed that away. Her love for him pushed that darkness away. She got up, pushed that darkness away, went straight to the light of the world, the light of, which is the light, of, and fell in his seat, grabbed a hold of him. She kept wailing, but her love pushed that darkness away. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in spirit and was troubled. Please don't get bored with what I'm preaching to you tonight. Please. He groaned in spirit and was troubled. You know what that means? He got angry. Groaned in spirit and troubled. Literally means he became angry in the spirit. You can see visible anger in Jesus. What a strange response. The atmosphere of death. An angry Jesus. The wrath of the Lamb being seen. Why is he groaning in spirit and troubled because of his groaning? Why is he an angry Jesus standing there? Why is he full of wrath? Because of the unbelief he sees. It's a justified anger. It's a just anger. He's angry at the unbelief that he sees. He's angry. At sin which brought death. He's angry with the devil. 
who is the Lord of death. He's a champion. He's fixing to go to war with death. Life is fixing to face off with death. He's angry with the unbelief. He's angry with the sin. He's angry with the results of sin, which is death. Men were not created to die. But four days before he came in the Garden of Eden, 4,000 years before he came, man sinned and fell into darkness. And he shows up on the fourth day, Lazarus being in the grave. On the time clock of God, 4,000 years from Adam. To rebuke death. And him who has the power of death. He's fixing to champion. He's fixing to go to war with it. He's fixing to show you he's got the power. As life to face off death. And defeat. He sees the condition of man in his fallenness. He sees death as a result of the fallen condition of man. And so the Bible says he groans in spirit and is troubled. An angry Jesus. Justifiably so. He's fixing to go to war with an enemy. Wouldn't that might be an odd response at a funeral service? Not if you know you're, you, have, you are the resurrection of life and you're fixing to raise him from the dead. But the reason for the groaning and the anger of Jesus here is because of the condition of man and the unbelief and the sin that brought that condition of death. You were not made to die. You were not created to die. Death came by sin. He doesn't take it. Jesus does not take it lightly. He is the resurrection and the life. And he's fixing to face death. He's fixing to die and conquer death. Come out on the other side. Preach his funeral. He'll be the first begotten from the dead. So it's an angry Jesus. And said, where have you laid him? Not because he didn't know, because they want, he needed him. The confessor, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And somebody said, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible in the King James. But you better be careful if you go in the foreign field and say it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Because it might not be the shortest verse in the Bible in the foreign field. Shortest verse. You really get hot really preaching. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Woo! And they're not shouting with you. Jesus wept. See, we have an angry Jesus on one hand. And now we have Jesus relating to humanity's sorrow. Weeping. Not wailing like they were. That word's different. It just means he is weeping. Tears are flowing down the human face of Jesus. 
This is not God crying. Divine love does not cry. Divine love does not cry. This is the humanity of Jesus. There's one, one, a few, one of the few times John gives you a glimpse of the humanity of Jesus, although trying to prove his deity. In his humanity, tears begin to flow down his face. Jesus wept. He's entering into the grief of the people around him. Human. He's related to humanness. Divine love does not cry. Human love does. Because he loves this family, he sees the grief and the sorrow they're in. Jesus enters into that pain as a man. As a man. Letting you know when you go through your times of grief and sorrow as a man, he can relate to that. But divine love does not cry. God does not cry. And I'll tell you this right now. Jesus is not crying now. He cried then. He's not crying now. He's not crying now. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. I don't have time to do it. The other morning, God got, I got up in prayer. God gave me a revelation. The sovereign Lord of the universe. But here he is in his humanity. John is showing you he's not just God. He's a man. And even though it's God, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead as a man. He's entered into their sorrow. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? He's not crying because he's not going to do anything. He already knows what he's going to do. Why would he cry if he knows he's fixing to raise Lazarus from the grave? Because as a man, he's entered into their pain. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. That's the way they interpreted him. Look how much Jesus loved him. That's why he's crying. Because he loved him so much. You know, so you got Mary wailing and crying. You got the Jews, they're crying. You got Jesus, he's weeping. And they interpret why he's weeping by saying, Behold, how he loved him. Can I tell you something? I'm going to tell you anyway, even if you don't give me permission. But do you realize that everybody in this church, you can all start crying right now. And by the way, thank God you can cry. Thank God I can cry. But everybody in this church can start crying right now. And everybody in this church would be crying for a different reason. There were some crying there that day because they were getting paid to cry. They're like, not really. I'm just telling you, you come to church and you see people crying and oh, look how God is on you. Look how they love God. They might be crying because they lost something they couldn't have. Don't be so gullible. You see them in the altar, they're praying, hope, prayerfully hope to God they're crying because they're sorry for their sin, they feel God, but they could be crying because they had a bad day. 
Things are not going their way. They didn't get what they want. I tell you tonight, that's the truth. And I look at people crying. I wonder what they're crying about. I in church. I wonder what they're crying about. Hopefully, because they have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Hopefully, you hear me today, but I'm telling you the truth. There's some people, man, they, they know how to cry, boy. They, 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 you know, they, 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 listen, some church people should go rehearse to be on the soap operas. <laughs> Have the ability to just cry and take themselves to some sad situation and Why are you crying? That's you just like those people on the soap opera. You just took yourself to some sad situation. Instant tears. No, I, I take that back. Don't edit it. No, don't edit it. But I don't want you crying out for the soap operas. I'm just telling you, some of you, some of you are really good at crying. Professional criers. Oh, Lord, help me. I could preach on that one for a little while. I preached to a few of those in my lifetime. And I've been in some churches where there were professional mourners. And the preacher would get up. He'd start preaching, boy. He'd start laying it on the line. He'd start preaching the truth. And people would come in with conviction. And one woman said that all she did was sit there and whine and cry. Not because she was sorry for sin. She whined and cried because she thought she was being beat up in the church. She's feeling sorry for herself. I've been around that. Thank God I wasn't preaching when she was doing it. <laughs> but I've been in those situations. Professional mourners. Didn't like it the way it was coming. Didn't, you know, so I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to rebel and I'm going to cry and feel sorry for myself. Anyway, okay. That's an Let me get back to the Word of God. I'm not mocking you. I'm just telling you it's the truth. They stand there and say, oh, look how, how much they love God. God hadn't crossed their mind in two years. Okay, let me get to the word of the Lord. Verse 36, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them, they misinterpreted why he was crying. I believe he was also crying because there was unbelief all around him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind look? They're taking him back to the light of the world. He's the light of the world. You catch this? I don't care what you got to do for school. God is more important and church is more important. You'd be glad you're not in Taiwan. You wouldn't be getting out of church before one o'clock. The preacher wouldn't even stand up to start preaching until 11 o'clock. I've been there. You know how hard it is for a preacher 
got a message burning in him. He wants to preach. And he's sitting there for four or five hours in the service and he still hasn't even got up to preach yet. Turn the service over to you. 11 o'clock at night. We ain't even 9.30 yet. Some of them say, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So they're relating him to be the light of the world. Jesus, therefore, again groaning. Here he is. He groans again in himself. An angry Jesus. Same word. A wrathful lamb. An angry Jesus. Justified in his anger. He groans at himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. I don't have time to get the message where it's not where I preach it's not too late, Lazarus, and I'll explain the steps leading down into the cavern. It really probably wasn't a cave in the side of the hill, it was a cave down deep in the earth. He comes to that cave, it's got a big old stone in front of it. Are y'all with me? Verse 39, Jesus, at this point, he's ready. He's ready to fight this enemy called death. Got power burning in his eyes. He looks at the people, he says, roll the stone away. <laughs> take away the stone, said Jesus. Jesus, why don't you take the stone and throw it into orbit? That's the mentality of most people in the church. They think Jesus or God is supposed to do everything. What he's showing you by this is that you are responsible to do some things yourself. What you can't do for yourself, God can do for you. But God is not responsible to do something for you that you can do for yourself. Take away the stone, said Jesus. Jesus is not going to do your praying for you. He's not going to do your fasting for you. He's not going to repent for you. He's not going to get baptized for you. He's not going to speak in tongues for you. Because God doesn't speak in tongues. You do. Take away the stone. That's what some people in the church don't have an understanding of is that God holds you responsible for what you can do. And then He will do what He can only do. When you come and pray and ask Him, when you come and pray and repent, He will forgive. When you get up and you get baptized in Jesus' name, He will wash away your sins. When you invite the Spirit of the Lord inside of you, the Bible says they heard them speak with tongues. God doesn't speak with tongues. You do the speaking as the Spirit gives the utterance. But you are responsible to yield to God. Some of you are waiting for God to speak in tongues and He don't. God, I need a job. Would you give me a job? God, I need a job. Would you give me a job? God, I need a job. They're not going to come and knock on your door. Say, we've been looking for you for years. And we finally found you. Would you like a job? 
You have to get up and do what you can do. And then God will take over from there. That's the, that's the problem with the church. The church thinks God's supposed to take the stone forward in the orbit for him. When you get up and you move, he'll do what he can. When you pray, he'll answer your prayer. When you get baptized, your sins will be washed away. When you yield to the Holy Ghost, you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. But you have to do what you're responsible for to do instead of feeling sorry for yourself and groping in darkness. Turn the light on. Y'all don't like this, do you? You, you like the message that says, God will do it all for you. You're going to be sitting a long time. I'm just believing God. When we get in the great tribulation period, I'm just believing God's going to rain down manna from heaven. Well, he might. But what if he don't? And you didn't put up any food when he said to put up food? I'm hungry. God sent the manna. I told you to store food, stupid. Y'all ever heard that story about that man who drowned and went to heaven? Got to heaven? Asked the question, you know? Well, he said, I prayed God you're going to save me. You weren't going to drown. God said, God said, I sent three rescue ships and you wouldn't get on them. So you drowned. God, I thought you was going to save me. He said, I did. I sent three rescue ships. You didn't get on. So you drowned. You're going to be waiting a long time, some of you. And some of you are going to drown and get to heaven and ask God why he didn't save you. And God said, I'm sent three rescue ships for you and you wouldn't get on. There's a little bloss. Yeah, man. You're going to get on the ship? God sends you a ship, rescue ship? You see what I'm trying to say? I, I got I to gotta go on. I'm getting too long on this. But he's showing you again our responsibility. He's not going to do what you can do. You do what you can do and he will do what you can't do. Don't ever forget what I'm preaching. I know you want me to take you into resurrection power in Jesus, raising Lazarus up. I know you want that, but I'll get, get the practical first. He said, roll, take the stone away. Get the rock out of your heart. Get the rock out of your life. Change your attitude. Get a prayer life. Worship when you come to church. Bring your tithe and offering. Put up a tent. Go to work. Teach Bible studies. Take the stone away. But it's work. You think God's going to put the tent up tomorrow? Hallelujah to the Lamb. The tent's not going to get up unless you we come up here tomorrow and set the tent up. We're not going to have a tent meeting unless you show up. And nobody that's a lost person in this, this mission, this, this meetings are for the lost. They are oriented for the lost. They're not oriented for the church. 
If you don't bring any lost people, you don't invite any lost people, you don't make an effort to bring anybody that's lost to this meeting, it's oriented not for the church, it's oriented for the lost. That's under the direction of the Holy Ghost. Are you hearing me tonight? How many know what I'm telling you to Put your name and say, take away the stone. But I want God to. No. Human responsibility. You don't like it, do you? Shout back at me. I don't like it, Pastor. I think I'm just going to get behind the pulpit. I'm not going to study. I'm not going to prepare. I'm just going to get behind the pulpit. And I'm just going to wait for divine revelation. And you'll preach about five minutes. And we'll send you to the office. You've got to labor. You've got to study. You've got to prepare till you're tired, till your eyes are about to fall out. And then when you get up and you've done all you can do, then God will quicken it to you. Well, I wish I could preach. Really? You're not willing to study the hours. Take away the stone. Are y'all hearing me? I wish I could play the piano. No, you don't. You don't wish you could play the piano. Or the piano, whatever you call that thing. You don't wish you could play it. If you really wanted to, you'd practice 10 hours a day. I wish I could play the piano. I don't say I wish I could play the piano. If I really wanted to, I'd be practicing 10, 12 hours. Get over here, man. Get real. Get honest. I want to be a preacher. No, you don't. You don't want, you don't want to put the effort in to be a preacher. You understand what I'm telling you? Take away the stone. Prepare a place for God to work a miracle in your life. When you come to the altar and throw up your hands, you're preparing a place for a miracle to take place. Are y'all awake? They take away the stone. Yeah, you didn't say it. Okay, fine. That's what Jeremiah says. Okay, fine. I asked you to say, take away the stone. You didn't say it. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. What? Here's Martha. Love Martha. Don't you love Martha? Martha, Martha. You're coming about with many things. Jesus said, take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. He's decomposing. He stinks. Don't think Jesus knew that? This is the time he was waiting for. When death was irreversible in the mind of the Jews. Irreversible. Irreversible. I've seen God do things that I thought was irreversible. Blew my mind. Knocked me right out of the water. 
And he gave me glimpses of it that he would do it. But when I saw it, I couldn't hardly believe it. Even though he showed it to me before, gave me a glimpse of it. I've seen situations, irreversible situations. God says, I can reverse it. You say, Pastor, you just don't have enough faith. I've talked to great apostles, great men of God, who said, you might as well forget that situation. But they're in the church today. Irreversible! I'm telling you, Brother Heath, God is in charge over irreversible situations. If God can quicken this man, He can quicken me. If God can quicken this situation, He can quicken any situation. It was irreversible. But God, who is Eliezer's help, He showed up. He's fixing that. Change everything. Be irreversible. Praise the Lord. Martha, I know. He's thinking by now. He's been there four days in the grave. Jesus said unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe thou shouldest see the glory of God, didn't I tell you? That you would see the glory of God. The glory of God is the manifest presence of God. You're fixing to witness the manifest presence of God in Jesus Christ. What is about to take place is proof that He is God coming flesh. You're going to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Only God can do what He's about to do. No man can bring somebody from the grave that's been in the grave four days. You might resuscitate somebody after a few hours or, or a short period of time of the heart stopping, but you, you put somebody in the grave four days, there ain't no man can do that. Only God. Woo, glory to God. Only God can call souls back from the spirit world. Only God can speak to Abraham's bosom and say, come out of there. Jesus is about to call this man's spirit out of Abraham's bosom, which was the paradise of God. Only God can have that kind of power to summons the souls out of the underworld. Prepare for the miracle. Don't lose sight of what and why this is about to happen. Jesus is not just going to raise this man from the dead because he loves the man or because there's people crying and are sorrow because he's dead. He's going to do it. Why? For the glory of God. Don't lose sight of the reason and the why of it. Just see the miracle naturally. Why did he do the miracle? That they might believe. That they might see the glory of God manifest right there. 
John's proving that he's God. The Bible says, watch this, I'm coming to a close. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Abba, Daddy, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. He said, you've already heard me. I've already been in prayer. See, you don't pray when you need it. You pray before you need it. He said, you have, you've already heard me. I know. He said, you've already heard me. Jesus had power to raise Lazarus from the dead because his prayer time was already spent. He had already spent time in prayer. So he was not shaken by this at all. If you'll spend some time in prayer, when you walk up to dead situations, they will not intimidate you. But you don't pray in the face of death. You pray before you face death and then after you have prayed, then you can face death. He already had the power by prayer. He already knew as, a, as Abba. He's speaking as a man. Abba, I know. I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. I don't have to shout it for effect. He lifted up his eyes and said, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. I don't know how long they sat there, church. The Bible doesn't tell us that he immediately appeared. He had to get up off of that slab. If he was in a coffin, he had to kick the top of it off. If he wasn't, he still had to walk a long ways, about 40 steps. Each step commemorating 40 years in the wilderness. It took him a while before he appeared at the mouth of the cave. Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And they sat. And they sat. And they sat. And I'm sure there were some there that were thinking, He's making a fool out of himself. They waited and waited, and I don't know how long they waited because the Bible doesn't say how long they waited. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth and answer. Come forth. God is your help. He's calling you out of that place, an irreversible situation. I'm sure some of them started getting nervous. Not gonna happen, is it? You don't see it yet. Sweat. No, Jesus wasn't sweating it. The one who had received the spirit of Lazarus and knew when Lazarus had died was calling Lazarus. And when he said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus could hear. 
he was aware. He responded. His spirit entered back into his body. His body that had, didn't have blood pumping in it for at least four days, probably five. All of a sudden, the heart is, he's got a fresh heart. If it was according to the Egyptian custom, he didn't even have a heart. God had to create a new one. But even if it wasn't Egyptian custom, if the heart that was in him was still in him, it had to be made anew. So all of a sudden when Jesus said Lazarus come forth, he got a fresh new heart. He got fresh new eyes. He got fresh new ears. The blood that hadn't pumped for at least four days began to pump in his body. You understand that miracle? And the body that was in decay reversed its decomposition. He got a fresh body. He got a fresh brain. He got a fresh heart. He got fresh eyes. He got a fresh tongue. He got fresh ears. Fresh skin. And all of a sudden, see, he can't walk very fast because he's all in grave clothes. recognize Lazarus in some of your faces. You're alive, but you still got your grave clothes on. He hopped his way up those 40 steps to the opening of that cave. And there he stood. He could not even see because the napkin was still around his head. He did not come out of there by his physical eyesight. He came out of there by listening to the voice of God. Why? Because he was his sheep. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And because Lazarus is one of his sheep, he didn't walk out by sight. He walked out by voice. <laughs> if Jesus can do that for him, he can do that for himself when he dies. And if he can do that for himself, he's going to do it for you. He's going to do it for me. Anybody can do what Jesus did that day. I'm going to listen to him. Because he's the only one that can do it. And if he can do it for him, he's going to do it for you. He came out of the grave. But he's still bound. I know you're tired. He's still bound. He's alive, but he's bound. Some of you are spiritually alive, but you're still bound. You still got grave clothes. You got the remnants, the past death. And you're going through life and you've been made alive unto God, but you're still bound by grave clothes, addictions, and 
Snuggles, Spartans, Steel Band. God is the only one that can give you life. And when he comes out of the grave by the voice of the Son of God, and the manifestation of who Jesus is, God is seen right there when that happens. That they might believe that he's the Son of God. That when they face a similar situation and they're groping in darkness and despair as he dies on that cross, don't let the light go out on the inside of you. It's just God's time now. I'm coming out of the I can do that for him. I can do that for myself. So the Bible says he comes out and he's bound. The Bible tells us Jesus looks at those around him and says, He that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with gray clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. See, you've got to take the stone away. And when life comes into that person, the responsibility of the church is to help to strip the gray clothes off of them. The things that have bound them, the church has got to take it off of them. You have a responsibility, church, when somebody comes into this house and they get life from God, you have a responsibility to help them get free from their gray clothes. Because until he gets free from his grave clothes, he will not be able to witness to one soul. Till you take the napkin off his face, he can't witness the power of God to anybody. That's why the other night we came around and we prayed for you. Help you see the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when you see the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we're going to help you break bondages and addictions that are, I don't know what they might be, but we're going to help you. And your responsibility also is to help me break free of my grave clothes. Because there's some gray clothes trying to get a hold of me as well, trying to trying to keep me bound. But by the grace of God, loose him and let him go. So he can be an effective minister of the gospel. So he can be a witness and a testimony to the power of God. The glory of God is seen in his power. The glory of God is seen in his love. The glory of God is seen in his resurrection from the dead. How many of y'all today still feel those gray clothes coming up around you, the napkin on your face? You're alive, but you're still bound. God wants you to be loose. He wants you to be free. So you can be a testimony to the world of His glory, of His power, of His love. Verse 45, the response of the Jews. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Many of the Jews believed on him. They didn't just believe. They believed on him. See, a lot, I'm, just, I'm going to come to a close right now and I know it's getting late, but I'm just going to be honest with you today. You ask somebody, are you a believer? They say, I'm a believer. But what do you believe? I've asked point blank the church, how many of y'all believe Jesus is God? And the majority of you go, I believe. Some of you don't know what you believe. Do you believe there is a hell? Yeah, I believe. 
But do you really? Do you really believe there's hell? If you and I really believed it, if we really believed it, would we not be doing something about the fact that the majority of the world around us is dying and going there? If we really believed it, would we not be witnessing? If we really believed it, we have shoulders with family and friends and people at work, and we never even open our mouth. Do we really believe that there's a hell? We say we do. I believe. What do you believe? Do you believe every time a drop of rain falls from the sky, it creates a new flower when it hits the ground? Is that what you believe? How many of y'all believe that every time a drop of rain falls from the sky and hits the ground, it creates a new flower? How many believe that? That's not true. My question to you is, what do you believe? You say, I believe. What do you believe? I'm a believer. What does that mean? Do you believe on Him? Do you believe His claims? See, he backed up his claims. He didn't just say he, he I'm the resurrection of life is what he said, but he backed up that claim by raising the man. He backed up his claims. Many believed on him. What are you believing tonight? How many of y'all claim to be a believer? Lift your hand. Well, thank God, at least the majority of you in here. Let's see, everybody except, okay, everybody here except there's only one person back here that is not a believer according to him. Okay, everybody. Well, he finally raised his hand. I guess that means that he had a second thought. Said, "Yeah, I have a believer." How many over here? You're a believer. Oh, well, at least you got some honest people here. Hallelujah! I got two over there. that's not. How many of y'all are really believers? What do you believe? Thank God. You believers. Good. Hallelujah. But what do you believe? Where do you get your theology? What is your theology? What do you believe? They believed on him, the Bible says. That means all his claims. He could back up what he said. What he said he was, he was. Who he said he was, he is. Give God praise in the house. But what about all of them? A mighty miracle has been done. A man has been raised from the dead by the name of Lazarus. Would you not think that everybody there would believe on him? But the Bible says only many believed on him, but there were some that did not believe on him, and they went and told on him, went and told the Pharisees what had happened. And they planned to kill him because of it. That's how he would be glorified. By his raising Lazarus from the dead, this would be the thing that would... Moved them to kill him, which was his glorification, his glory. So it wasn't that when he raised Lazarus from the dead, everybody said, Whoa, look what he did. He's so great. That wasn't the glory he was talking about. The glory he was talking about is that what he did here is going to drive them, the unbeliever, into killing him. That's his ultimate glory. This is death and resurrection. That's what he was talking about ultimately. Because there are some here, even though they had seen Lazarus rise from the dead, still didn't believe. The rich man in hell said, 
Send forth Lazarus. Eleazar. From the dead. Tell him to go and preach to my brothers. And they will believe if Lazarus will go and preach to them from the dead. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. If they don't believe the, the prophets, they don't believe the law and the prophets, they will not believe though one rose from the dead and we've got a Lazarus here who's risen from the dead and they still won't believe. If you won't believe the word of God that's preached to you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe Lazarus if he rose from the dead. And he's not the same Lazarus of Luke 16. But the rich man asked for a Lazarus to be raised from the dead and a Lazarus was raised from the dead and they still didn't believe. Let's stand. You'll see it next week, God willing. You'll see it next week. They get together the council and they determine they're going to kill him. They know a miracle has taken place, Brother Mark. They're not denying the miracle took place. They just deny the one who did the miracle. Some of you in this church tonight, I will tell you, you could see a Lazarus raised from the dead and you're still going to die and go to hell. You say, well, if I could see a miracle like that, I would believe. If you won't believe the word that's preached to you, you wouldn't believe that there was a resurrection of Lazarus. He said, but I believe in soul sleep. The rich man that was in hell knew he wasn't asleep. I'm tired, Pastor. You need to be quickened. You need to be quickened. And if Jesus quickened him, he can quicken you. I'm so tired. Well, Martha, Martha, you are covered about with many things and troubles. You are so busy. And you're serving, but you're always griping. And that's the way we will know you. Why don't you get at the feet of Jesus? and learn of Him and create a relationship and from that serve Him and stop your driving and complaining. And all you can think about is what stinks and what smells bad. Are you alive tonight? Oh, that was good. Okay. I got it. I got it. Praise the Lord. I'm done. So, you know. Are you alive tonight? Okay, now listen. Okay, I'm going to let you go. The only way you can be alive tonight is surrounded by your groping in darkness to try to figure out why these problems are there. Why you have so much sorrow. You're filled with darkness. Sort of like Mary Martha for a while until the light stepped in. Tonight, the problem is not the darkness. You can stand there and you can curse the darkness and curse the darkness and curse the darkness and the darkness is not going away. What you need is to be quickened by the light 
of the world. Who is your life. And the only way you can do that is to spend time with Him and to submit to His will and purpose in your life. As I closed, there was no limitation to the power of Jesus Christ. He delayed His coming. He didn't show up until the fourth day. It wasn't because He didn't have power to do it. He wasn't limited by power. He was limited by God's purpose. And as soon as you and I realized that we have to be led by the Spirit, not by people, people will kill you. They want... I want you to do this. I want you to go here. Why weren't you there? Da, 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 da. They drive you bananas. Until you know where's God leading you. I'm in His will. I'm fulfilling His purpose. The only limitation is His purpose. His purpose limits me tonight as to what I'm to do. God is not without power, but He's limited. Jesus was limited by His purpose. You hear what I'm telling you? So you can go through your life groping in darkness. Or you can go through life filled with light and the darkness will not overcome you. You'll never stumble. Because the light just keeps shining. And you know when you're in God's will and you don't care what people think. And they can do this to you all day long. You say, no, 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 no. God didn't tell me to do it. When God tells me I move. Do you and I ever get to that place in our lives? We will not stumble. We will not be offended. Because we have night vision. Because the light is in us. We are controlled by His plan and by His purpose and by His will. How many of y'all want to walk that way? Then no matter what the danger is that you're about to face, because the light is in you, you're secure and protected. Because you say yes to His will and plan in your life, you have light in you. And when you go home tonight, and you walk into that place, whatever, I pray tonight that the light is in you. You walk in that place, and if it's dark, you just walked out of church, but you're the light. Woo, praise God. Light, 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 light. And because you were in the light, you thought the light was in you. You were surrounded by light. You get home and all of a sudden, where did the light go? Let it shine. Get in His will. Find out what He wants to do in your life. And say yes to the redemptive purpose of God. And not be controlled by the whims and the will of humanity. But the will of God. Give the Lord praise in the house. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Worship Him. Who is the resurrection of the life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I love you. I love you. I love you. I praise you. I worship you. I give you glory. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. See, it's not God's will for you just to have the light in the church that's here right now or the light that's coming. 
in, from preaching that's God's will for you, when you leave here and you walk out in that dark world, there's enough light in you to have night vision. You walk in your house, there's light in your house. You're not stumbling in the... You're not stumbling. You know what you're doing. You know where you're going because you're in the will of God. And nothing anybody says or nothing anybody does will, does, will stop you. Because I know I'm in the will of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Whatever, let God take care of it. I said, let God take care of it. It's not always easy, is it? Just trust the Lord that way. His plan and purpose. So why doesn't God come down and do this for me? Because he's limited by his purpose. He's not limited in power. He's got a purpose for what he's doing. That you might believe. That I might believe. How do you understand this? Pressure. People will put pressure on you. No, sorry. Not until God says. You can't lengthen the days or shorten the days of a disciple who's filled with light. Nothing you can do will shorten or destroy that disciple. Nothing you can do by way of precaution will lengthen his days if he's in the will and plan and purpose of God. That word is for you and I in the last days. We are looking forward to the coming of Jesus when he will quicken us for the rapture. And if you die, you just go to sleep. Hallelujah. How many looking forward to that day? Just going to sleep. Said, I'm tired, Pastor. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Praise the Lord. Someday it's going to be an eternal rest. You're just going to go to sleep. Amen. I love you.